You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, hey, good morning. Good to see you guys again. Happy New Year again. It's good. Um, we're going to start uh, this year on, uh, on a little bit of a celebration note, and um, I don't have like a little joke or a little thing to get into the message. I'm just going to ask you to help me out with something. So Mark and Gina, um, our missions partners in Guatemala, uh, it's, it's really hard to be a missionary. It's very easy to get discouraged. And so you guys are going to help me uh, just celebrate and encourage them this morning. Uh, if you're just coming in or you missed the announcement earlier, uh, we had a Christmas Eve offering of $50,000 to, uh, to send to Mark and Gina, and we met and exceeded that, which is really exciting. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do something really practical for encouragement, and you got to help me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a little video, if I can figure out how to do this, a big old point five. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go three, two, one. And as loud as you possibly can, you're going to say, we love you, Mark and Gina. And then you're going to clap as loud as you can. And then I'm going to send it to Mark later today. There's going to be a little competition between first and second service, so I'll let you know. So I'm going to go three, two, one, and then we love you, Mark and Gina, and then clap like crazy. Let me sure my little lens is all clean. I'm a part-time videographer on the side. I don't want to. You ready? All right. Three, two, one. We love you, Mark and Gina. So good. I can't wait to send that to him. He's going to be blown away. So here we are at the beginning of a new year, and um, I'm not sure if you're feeling new, if you're feeling tired or what. Um, I'm a little tired, a little tired, but I'm also feeling really excited about what's new. I think God has a lot of great things in store for us this year as a church, and so um, you picked up, we're, we're starting a new series this morning. Um, the, the first series of the year is always a fun one, because you kind of roll the dice and go, okay, where is everybody? Where are we? How are we feeling? Is everybody kind of like tired from the holidays? Are we ready? And so we're starting a series this week called Ancient Rhythms. It's a six-week series, and here's the idea. We're going to take a look at these things that, that are important to have in our spiritual lives so that we can grow as God calls us to grow. This is some like real basic stuff, but hopefully it's really helpful stuff. Um, I don't want to think really deeply after the new year. I know that surprises you. I really don't. Like, I just want some easy stuff. Give me some leftover Christmas cookies and some stuff in the fridge, and I'm good. Um, this stuff is not very complicated. This series will not be complicated. It's going to be a little deep, and hopefully it's going to be very helpful. So here's where we're going. Every message in this series called Ancient Rhythms is going to do two things. First, we're going to talk about why each one of these rhythms is so important in your life. And here they are, just in case you didn't catch them from the little video. Bible, that's what we're talking about today. Prayer, fasting, silence and solitude. Oh, boy. Worship, and then evangelism and story. 
That's where we're going these next six weeks. We're gonna talk about why these are so important and maybe even why they're so hard to cultivate in our lives. This morning, we're going to be in Joshua, by the way, just in case you want to get there. But then secondly, every week, we're going to give you some really practical ways to put these things in place in your life. Sunday morning church exists to equip you to do what God is asking you to do. I hope you're not here for me. I hope you're not here just because it's what you do on Sunday morning. I hope you come to Sunday morning church. You're here at a worship gathering so that you can be equipped to do what God's calling you to do throughout the week. So this will be a very practical series. Last week of intro, or last little bit of intro, and then we'll get to it. I don't know about you, but I deeply believe that there is nothing more satisfying than a life lived with Jesus. There is nothing more satisfying than a life lived with Jesus. And so if you want more of Jesus in your life, maybe you're a Christian and you're going, gosh, I just don't know how to grow. Or maybe you're like, I'm not sure where I am spiritually. This week is gonna, or this week and this series is gonna help you do some of that. So this morning we're starting with number one, first of these rhythms, first of these like disciplines, Bible. And we're gonna reach way back, like 3,000 years back, an intimidated leader on the literal shore of new beginnings eager to step into what God might have, and he's scared out of his mind. Here's the situation. 40 years earlier, God's people were slaves in Egypt. They were oppressed, held captive. They were pushed down. God hears their cries, and he calls up Moses, interestingly, formerly a prince of Egypt, to lead them out of captivity. And they wander around the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan for 40 years. Then Moses dies. Huge turning point in the history of God's people. Here's why all that is important. Where we're going to be this morning, Joshua 1, God's people are at the edge of everything promised, the promised land. They're at the beginning of all things new. They're stepping into something new that's exciting, but something new can also be a little bit terrifying, right? (laughs) Brings us to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, that's a river, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, maybe this is a little simplistic, but who's the main character, at least on the stage right now? Whose name gets mentioned five times in five verses? Help me out. Moses. Moses. Dude's name is mentioned five times in five verses. Like the book is clearly named Joshua, but there's like a baton pass kind of going on here. Do you feel that? Joshua is stepping up to the plate, but the crowd is still cheering for Moses' walk-off grand slam 40 years earlier. (laughs) And did you catch how they're introduced? Right there in verse one. I always thought this was so interesting. 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Like, aw, how cute, like how diminutive. It's a bit of a nod to the notion that we don't know a whole lot about this guy yet. We know he's Moses' right-hand man. We know that from the last couple of books, but he's still a little unproven. And what does God say to Joshua? Here's what he commands him to do. Look in verse two. We're gonna hit it one more time. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I'm giving to them, to the people Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised Moses. And then he names the boundaries. He does a little GPS Google Maps work. He says, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, Euphrates, the land of the Hittites to the great sea, it's the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun, that's your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. It's an amazing promise. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. Now, what's all this about? Long story short, God is making good on a promise he made to his people years and years earlier to lead them into what we would call the promised land. He promised this years and years ago, and now God is actually going to deliver. How many of you know that God always keeps his promises, even if it takes a little bit longer than we wanted to? (laughs) Well, who's in the land? What's this all about? Are there people in there? Yeah, scary ones. Years earlier, Moses had sent a little recon team over to check out like the kind of people that are living in this land. They came back and here's what they told Moses. This is from Numbers chapter 13. They told him, hey Moses, um, that land that you want us to go scout out flows with milk and honey. And like it's got this, all this fruit everywhere. But the people who dwell in this land are really strong and um, the cities are fortified and they're very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And here's their conclusion. The men who had gone up and said, we're not able to go there. They are stronger than we are. And this is way back with Moses. And so what do the God's people do? They do what we always do. We doubt God and we freak out and we did nothing. And so Moses, they didn't enter in. They did not move forward. They did not step into the new. And they sit for 40 years wandering around the wilderness because they didn't have faith in what God was going to do for 40 years. Holy smokes. But then here in Joshua 1, it's like God clears his throat. (laughs) And he goes, as I was saying, (laughs) and he like picks up right where he left off. Ah, Joshua, I've already promised you this land. It's as good as yours. I'm a God like no other. I keep my promises. I'm going to be with you. You can trust me. And then turning to Joshua, God gets really specific and personal. Take a look in verse 6. All right, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Oh, okay. Bold, italic, underlined. Got it. Okay. Being careful to do all that the law of Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have a good success. Have I not commanded you? (laughs) Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you 
wherever you go. Inspiring words, right? Like good pregame pep talk, God. But before we leave the locker room and charge through the tunnel, let's consider Joshua's situation. First off, let's look at what's probably in him. He's got the memory of Moses. He's got Moses' legacy. Those are big shoes to fill, sandals, whatever. You don't have to be a very religious person to understand that Moses was probably one of the greatest leaders this world has ever known. He spent 40 years as a prince in Egypt, and then he spent 40 years as a shepherd. Tell me that doesn't teach you a thing about leadership. And then he spent 40 years as the liberator and leader of God's people. D.L. Moody once quipped that Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody, 40 years thinking he was a nobody, and then 40 years learning what God can do with a nobody. Isn't that good? Now, all of that's in Joshua's rearview mirror. He's probably sitting here going, I don't know who I am yet, but I know I'm no Moses. Second thing, let's consider not just what's in him, but let's consider what's in front of him. It's great land, but scary people. He's got a pretty big obstacle right in front of him. The, the report hasn't changed since Moses sent the spies in earlier. Like, there's still the same people there. Stepping into the new is hard because it means you can fail and fail publicly. We don't like that. Stepping into the new means leaving what's familiar and there's risk with that. Stepping into the new means living by faith and most of us are not very good with that. I would rather stick with what I know even if what I know is not what's best for me. Maybe you're the same way. So consider what's in him. Consider what's in front of him. And then consider what's around him. God's people at this point in history don't have the best reputation. (laughs) If you had to characterize God's people around him, they could be characterized bluntly as a group of people who are fickle, faithless, and frustrating. (laughs) Quick highlight reel. When Moses took his time back on the mountain, remember coming down with the Ten Commandments, what did they do? They made a golden calf and worship it just because they were a little impatient. (laughs) Loyalty. Good job, guys. When they got hungry on the road to Egypt, some of them complained and said, I'd rather go back there. And nothing's ever good enough for them. They always find something to complain about. Doesn't remind me of anybody that I know at all. (laughs) So you put all that together, and it's not hard to imagine that when God clears his throat to talk to Joshua, Joshua's feeling more than a little insecure, intimidated, and overwhelmed. And so I have to ask you, does anybody else feel those pressures ever? Do you ever feel insecure about what's in you? This massive yawning gap in self-doubt? Do <laughs> you ever feel intimidated about what's in front of you? You look around and you go, I, you feel that thing called fear? And then you look around you and you go, gosh, the situation is not great. I just don't love this a lot. And what's the solution? And then God's word comes to Joshua like a trumpet blast on fire. He says, be strong and courageous. Strong, what's that mean? It's used 287 times in the Old Testament. It's the word that you would use when you want to say to grasp something tightly. And so everybody take your dominant hand real quick. We're going to do something. If you're right-handed, take your right hand. Squeeze it as hard as you can. Like white knuckle that thing. To grasp something tightly, this is an image of the soul strength that God wants for Joshua. He wants him to be strong. You can let go. 
And then courageous. Courageous is a less frequent word. It's only used about 15 times in the Old Testament. It's used five times in the book of Joshua. And it means to stand strong without blinking, to not flinch, like to hold your ground and not break eye contact. So you've got this like grip tightly and stand resolutely. Like, I love that. I'd love to be strong and courageous, like grip tight strength, like strong resolution. Gimme, I'd like some of that, wouldn't you? I'd love to lead Mandy from a more secure place as a husband. I'd love to lead our kids from a place without like second guessing myself all the time. I'd love to inspire others with this like lion-hearted leadership. Can you imagine what it would be like to stand your ground in faith and never flinch, no matter what you're facing in your life? Man, pile another scoop on that fantasy Sunday for me. I'm in. Like, let's go. Be strong and courageous. Who's in? How? Before we answer that question, could you imagine what it would be like um, to sit in the plane, get your carry-on, put beneath the seat, you buckle up, and then you hear the captain come on, the loudspeaker, like, yeah, news from the flight deck. Uh, this is your captain speaking. This is my first flight this morning, uh, but it's okay. I saw Top Gun Maverick this last weekend. Sit back and enjoy the flight. It's a little terrifying. Or like you saw a Groupon for a break job, and so you buy the Groupon for like 15 bucks or whatever. You show up, and the guy goes, hey, like, give me your keys. It's in good hands. I watched a couple YouTubes about this last weekend. You're going to be fine. Okay. Or like you head into surgery at the hospital, you lay down and the nurse like gets you all hooked up to all the monitors and all the stuff and they got the gas going and the last memory before you're under is you hear the doctor turn to the nurse and say, oh, knee surgery. Can you Google that for me real quick? <laughs> Those are a little terrifying scenarios and they're more than a little anxiety inducing. But I think we do that with life all the time. Here's what I mean. It's a fool who accepts responsibility for courageous things, but rejects the formation needed to get there. It's a fool who accepts responsibility for courageous things, but rejects the formation needed to get there. Now we're gonna zero in on the how, you be strong and courageous, in like 10 seconds. But before we do, I wanna urge you, I don't want you to hear what God is about to say to Joshua as the voice of like some disconnected deity up in the sky somewhere. I want you to hear this as the voice of a loving parent who's trying to soothe his anxious child. Be strong and courageous, okay? How, God? Sandwiched between this three times repeated phrase, be strong and courageous, is God's answer. You wanna know what it is? Sure you do, because you want the same thing that I do. Verse seven, be strong and courageous, how? being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. North Canton Chapel, your life has more potential and possibility than you could ever imagine, but you are not going to get there until you are formed by the word of God. Put simply, 
We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. God's word to Joshua is really three commands. So let's just look at this again really quick and then we're gonna get practical. He's first, he says, keep my word near you. He says, this book shall not depart from your mouth. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean that the only thing that, Joseph, or that Joshua's allowed to say is scripture. I mean, he's gotta order coffee at the drive-thru too. He's gotta say something else. So what does he mean it shall not depart from your mouth? Here's what he means. Our lives are so closely tied to the word that we are intrinsically formed by the word. Read a lot of books. Live in scripture. I'm not the first one to say that. Spurgeon said it first. I would take credit because I like it, but you know. Second thing he says, he says, think about what this book says. Don't just read it. Don't just read it. Don't just have it near you on a nightstand. Think about what it says. He says, meditate on it day and night. Now, he doesn't mean meditate like some like disconnected Om Zen Buddhist thing. Some mindless emptied state, what he means, literally, it's an interesting phrase in Hebrew, it means to mumble to yourself. It's great. <laughs> kind of gives me permission for looking a little crazy. It's all right. What he means is as we go through life and think things and feel things and hear things and experience things, those should trigger truths that we have learned from God's word that come out of us because they've become a part of us. What God says to you and about you is the most important thing for you. Meditate on this thing. And then he says that you may be careful to what? Do what it says. He says that you may be careful to do what it said. God, God does not want Joshua to just be a well-polished religious hypocrite. That's not how this works. Knowing God's truth isn't enough I've got to let it get out of my head and into my life. Now, let's leave Joshua here on the shore for a second. There's a danger to texts like this, and some of you know where I'm going. The danger is you go, okay, I get it. Be like Joshua. <laughs> I got to go be like Joshua. I'll be strong and courageous. I'll read my Bible. If that's, if that's the way we approach the text and that's all we get, we're going to miss the point. God's word was written by God to reveal God. And so the moral of the story is not go be like Joshua. The moral of the story is what does this say about God when God's people keep his word close? Do you see the difference? I don't, we don't want to moralize the Old Testament. We don't want to moralize these stories and make you go be like Joshua. That's the danger here. Instead, we want to go, well, what is this showing me about God when God's people are formed by his word? Now, last week, um, Mandy and I were just, we had, we had one of those late night conversations, went to like 1130 or so. It was great. Um, and we were just talking through like family stuff and just stuff. And um, like we were praying together and like then we talk some more and then we pray a little bit more and then talk. And at one point, um, I don't know, probably like an hour and a half in, Mandy like on the couch in our living room, like she's sitting here, I'm sitting here. And she just like collapsed into this like half prayer to God, like half word to me. And she goes, I'm just at a loss. I'm just at a loss. <laughs> How do you know what your God is? You know what your God is by what, you're what you turn to when you're at a loss. 
When you just go, I'm at a loss, what do I do? That's how you know who your God is. For some people, they go, ugh, I just need a drink. Don't hate me. At that moment, that's your God. Some people go, oh, I just need to like, oh, check this. I need a distraction. Don't hate me. At that moment, that's your God. What you turn to when you're at a loss to deliver you is your God. Because that's an element of worship. Now, some of those things aren't bad things. They're just really bad gods <laughs> because they can't form me into the kind of person that I want to be. How do you find out what your God is? What do you turn to when you're at a loss? North Canton Chapel cannot be a church of people who are merely interested in the word of God. We must be a people who are formed by the word of God. Do you see the difference? But I've got bad news, uh, especially bad news for people who are impatient like me. Being formed by the word of God takes time. It doesn't happen quickly. There is no such thing as Instapot Christianity. I know you got one for Christmas and that's awesome. It's great. You can't microwave Jesus in your life. It just doesn't happen. This takes time. We keep God's word close to us because God's word keeps us close to him. So I said a few moments ago that we want to make this series really, really practical. So I've got like 10 minutes or so. I want to take everything that we just looked with Joshua on the shore and God's call to prioritize his written word. And he only had the first five books, guys. We got like 66 of them. The whole thing. What do you do? So I want to give you 10 tips this morning. This is like cookies on the bottom shelf. You could take this home today and start doing some of this stuff. Um, 10 tips to enjoy God's word in 2024. And just a quick word before we get into it. Um, the danger of this kind of stuff is we become like little Pharisees, real performative. And we go, man, if I'm not in the word for every day, I'm not a good Christian. We don't want to become performative here or become legalistic. My hunch is that you're not going to grab all 10 of these and like take all 10 home. My hope is you grab like one or two and maybe just try them out and just to see how God blesses you. So number one, here it is. Get a version that you love to read. Here's the thing. Life is too short and God loves you too much for you to be bored with the Bible. Here we are in the American West and we have like 15 different Bible translations that you could choose from. We're going to talk later this year about how we got those translations and how we got the Bible and all that stuff. But for now, here's what you need to know. You've got like a spectrum. On one side, you've got Bible translations that are like word for word. They'd be like New American Standard Version. Very, very almost wooden and awkward. You've got ones over here on this side that are like a paraphrase, like the Message or the New Living Bible. The Bible that we read here at North Kent Chapel, we preach from, and it shows up on the slides, is a translation called the ESV, just the English Standard Version. And maybe you got some Christmas money and maybe you got like some Amazon wish list. If you're looking to buy a Bible that I promise you that you're going to love to read, it's just called the ESV Study Bible. The reason being, it's a, it's a balance between like really literal and then also really easy to read. And then the Study Bible also has some really great tips and like little notes in the bottom for stuff that you don't know. Because when you're reading the Bible, right, the challenge is it's hard to love something if you don't know what it is. And so if you're looking for something to get into, ESV Study Bible is a great tool. Um, it's, it's the one that I use even in preparation for Sunday morning sermons. And I just want to encourage you, if you got some Christmas money, it's a great investment. All right, so that's tip number one. Get a version that you love to read. Tip number two, download the YouVersion Bible app. Now, I know like some people are going to get prickly with this one because you're going, I like the Bible on my phone. 
That's okay. I'm not asking you to love the Bible on your phone, but I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, this last week, uh, somebody texted me, and uh, they were just walking through some tough stuff in their life, and um, I wanted to encourage them just as their pastor and as a friend, and so I hopped on my Bible app on my phone, and I found a verse that I knew would be appropriate, and I, I copied it, and I pasted it into a text conversation, and I sent it to them. That's actually a really practical way to use God's word in community with other people. Now, I know these little things in our pockets, these little rectangles can be really distracting. I got fantasy football too. I'm losing in case you want to know. Our staff league, it's terrible. I think Austin's going to win. The Michigan fan. Ugh. <laughs> these things can be really distracting because you get notifications and they go off. And I get that. But let's not vilify the device or the technology. Let's learn how to use it for the glory of God. So that'd be another tip for you. Download the YouVersion Bible app. Not for everybody, but just consider it. Number three, third tip for you. Find a consistent time and place. We're creatures of habit, aren't we? Like, I got my morning routine down, and you probably do too. Here's what this means for like, the spiritual discipline of reading your Bible. Find a place that you love to read. These are the winter months, and so in our living room, I got a fireplace, and I've got a place on a love seat with an end table and a coffee and a lamp and a Bible. And I'm gonna sound really spiritual here. I don't mean to, but I'm up at like five every morning because I'm, I'm a morning person. I know some of you wanna throw something at my face right now. I get like an hour before anybody even comes downstairs. It's marvelous for me. Now, that does mean I go to bed at like 9.30 because I'm lame. Anyway. Find a place and time that's consistent for you that just works. It could be a desk, it could be your kitchen table, it could be your car. Just find a place and time that works for you and stick with it. Number four, fourth tip. Before you do anything, pray. I can't overstate this one enough. Everything else I just gave you is really mechanical. This one is really relational. I think it does us good to remember that reading God's word is a spiritual activity with a person. The God of the universe wants to talk to you. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, texts, meaning parts of God's word, will often refuse to reveal their treasures until you open them with the key of prayer. So practically what that means is you're gonna go, God, I'm about to sit down and read the gospel of Mark this morning. Help me to see what you have for me here. Or I'm gonna read this passage in Ephesians because my community group's going through it and I don't know what it means, so Lord, could you just help me? Show me, encourage me, meet me. I like that because it reminds us that this is a relational activity. Speaking of which, number five, settle into one book. Now this is true for you, especially if like you've never read the Bible before. Um, one of the most common questions that I get as a pastor is, where do I start? great question. Here's what most people do and why it lasts like three days. They do what I call Bible roulette, where you go like, they read a verse and they go, I don't know what that means, and they throw it away. That doesn't work for a number of reasons. Number one, it doesn't work because it's really dangerous because you're never invested in a text long enough to really understand it. Second thing, it's really manic. It's like spiritual speed dating, it's like, I'm just gonna like dispense with all the frivolity so I can get on, it doesn't work that way. And it's really unsatisfying. It's kind of like the spiritual equivalent of living on lifesavers. Like, don't do Bible roulette. 
So where do you start? Let me give you a couple tips. If you are brand new to reading the Bible, let me encourage you. The best place where you could start is the Gospel of Mark. Just my opinion. Mark is super easy to read. You could read it start to finish in like 90 minutes. And I'm not a very fast reader. 90 minutes. The other Gospels take a little bit longer, maybe about like two, two and a half hours. When you get into Paul, Paul is like really dense, really short, really hard. Psalms is reflective poetry. Start in one place and just kind of be there for a little while. Tip number six, here we go, moving on. Consistency is better than quantity, okay? So I'm just gonna give you a little insight into my personality and where I have failed colossally in the area of physical fitness because it's the new year. Anybody have like physical fitness goals for the new year? No one's gonna own up to it because we don't wanna be accountable to it. You go into the gym and you're like, that's it, I'm bench pressing 400 pounds right now. <laughs> and then you go, well, I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. Every other day, I'm gonna be here, maybe every other day. And then you go, well, maybe once a week. And then you go, maybe next year. <laughs> And so my word for you is please, please, please don't take, if you're especially an intense person like I tend to be, please don't take that intensity and bring it over into your Bible intake and go, I'm going to read the entire New Testament in January. Maybe, if you can handle that, Rome wasn't built in a day and God does not expect for you to be a theologian in 30 days, okay? So like what he wants from you is a consistent time where he can meet with you so he can speak with you. Consistency over quantity. Number seven, get some simple tools. Get some simple tools. Here's what I mean by this. Um, you don't need like a, 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 a library of theological books to have a good time with the Lord in his word. You don't need to go to Bible college or seminary. You don't need to own 12 commentaries to understand something. You do need some really simple tools. This is where this is gonna get complicated. Number one, a study Bible, like I said, is a great first step. That's the best thing to get you in the ballpark is a good study Bible. But number two, I wanna show you something else. Go ahead and throw this up. Um, if you're going, hey, I don't know where to start. One of the things that we're committed to as a pastoral staff is we'd love to meet with you and go, hey, let's, let's, let's talk about like what you're looking for. And so rather than send you into something or like, yeah, just go buy these 12 books, you're going to be fine. I don't want to do that to you. This is about personal connection. This is about relationships. And so we've wanted to throw this QR code up here. So take your phone or those of you watching online, the link is going to be available. If you want to meet with a pastor just to talk about it and go, I want to study this or this is going on in my life or I want to be a better parent or I want to, we'd love to meet with you just to help get you on the right track. It's why pastors exist. All right, moving along. Number nine, or number eight, sorry. Relationship with is better than information about. I remember when Mandy and I were dating in college and on the, on the, on the, there were bulletin boards in the, in the lobbies of our dorms. And I remember uh, we would write little notes to each other. There were these little green notes that were available on the front desks and you could write notes and fold them over and like pin them to the bulletin boards. It was like texting for Gen Xers. It was great. And I remember I'd walk into the dorm and I'd see a note with like her handwriting and my name on it and my heart would go. <gasps> I know this is cheesy. I think that that's actually a really good metaphor for understanding what your time with God should be like. 
because this is not a mechanical diagram about how to fix your VCR or how to repair like your car. This is a lot more about meeting with a person. And so remember that your time with the Lord, whether it's morning, evening, in your car, in your kitchen, wherever, this is about a relationship with a person rather than information about them. Number nine, go with someone. There's this saying I've heard a lot, and maybe you've heard it too, is you'll go faster alone, but you'll go further together. You'll go faster alone, but you'll go further together. And I think that principle absolutely applies to Bible study. Here's the thing. When I am going with people on a journey spiritually, I see my sin a lot more clearly because sometimes they point it out to me. (laughs) I also see God's grace a lot more quickly because they point it out to me also. We're not meant to walk through the Christian life alone. That's why we talked about belonging earlier this morning. And so if you're going, all right, where do I go? The best next step for you, if you're looking for us to help you out in that as a church, just head to ncchapel.com slash group life. That's one option for you. Otherwise, gather up a couple friends and go, hey, what would it be like if we journeyed together? Last tip, and then we're gonna turn our hearts toward communion. Do something. What I mean by that is one of the most dangerous mistakes that you can make with God's word is learning something and doing nothing. And I see it happen all the time. Christians who have completed like 90 billion book studies but don't love their neighbors. Christians who are so busy for the kingdom that like they're missing the finer fabric of life which is always, always relationships. And let me just urge you as your pastor, don't learn anything that you can't do something with. If you're in a Bible study here at the chapel, men's, women's groups, whatever, awesome. Ask yourself, how can I, or what can I do about what I'm learning? What is God calling me to do with this information? I promise you, your spiritual life's gonna grow. So we're gonna turn toward communion here for just a moment. And so band, you guys can come on back out. Deacons, why don't you guys come on forward? By the way, we just had our, our board retreat this last weekend, our missions board, deacon board, and our elder board. And um, some of our deacons here, this is their first time serving communion in a new layout. So be gracious. Um, but here's the thing I want us to be mindful of as we turn toward communion. You guys can go ahead and start passing. To those around you, go ahead. And as you're passing, just something to think about. Do you know that the God of the universe wrote a book because he wants to communicate to you? And I think this is the gospel. We're gonna sing about the cross in just a moment. You understand that everything in this book points to a savior who loves you deeply. (laughs) The God of the universe loves you. He wants to know you and be known by you. And he said, this is my word. This is the way to do it. Everything in this book reveals who God is, shows who he is, talks about what he's done, talks about how much he loves you. And I know this is a little on the cheesy side, but I've often heard God's word, the Bible defined as God's love letter to humanity. And I really appreciate that. I'm not sure if it's just something God's teaching me these days or just kind of where we were this Christmas, but I feel like I just want to keep saying this to you guys and 
I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know that God is real and that he loves you so very much. And that's why we take part in this communion, this Lord's Supper. It's why we sing these songs. And so for another minute or so, just sit quietly and reflect. As you hold these elements, just take a time of prayer and thank God for what he's done for you. And then I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. So just take a few moments in quiet. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.